Good morning. I'm Jeff. Great to be with you this morning and great to have the opportunity to share a message in our series on the story and the life of Elijah. In the last couple of weeks, we've learned that Ahab is the king of Israel in this time period. In our first Kings chapter 18, we'll be in today. And Elijah is a prophet of God. And Elijah has promised on God's behalf to Ahab that no rain will fall in Israel until God says. And this has been going on for quite some time now, two or three years, we think. And the whole time Ahab has been looking for Elijah, mainly to kill him, um, but perhaps to torture him first. Uh, But he can't find him. He's been looking everywhere for Elijah. He can't find him. But finally, in that third year of the drought, God sends Elijah back to King Ahab. And so we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 18 in verse 17. When Ahab the king saw Elijah the prophet, he exclaimed, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? There's a bit of an accusation in there. There's a bit of hesitancy. Like, is it really you? You can imagine Elijah for the last three years, sorry, Ahab for the last three years. Anytime he's been out of the palace in the city or, or out in Israel, you can imagine him doing that thing where he's like, hang on, is that Elijah I see in the distance? And, and, and everybody looks like Elijah to him because he just can't wait to get his hands on that guy's throat. He's like, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? What have you done to us? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. King Ahab, Queen Jezebel. They have influenced the nation, all of the people, to move away from worshipping God. And so the people no longer put all of their trust in God. They don't put all their hope in God. They don't only worship God. Instead, they've added in extras. They now worship this this image or this statue of a god named Baal and also these images, these these poles that they set up to worship a god named Asherah. And so Elijah says, let's sort this out. Bring everyone, the whole nation, all the prophets to a showdown. This is a battle of the gods. Or really, it's a battle for people's hearts. And so in the next verse, in verse 20, so Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. And then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Make up your minds. But the people were completely silent. This is a a common situation in the Old Testament. Choose this day who you will serve. Stop sitting on the fence. Stop trying to have your cake and eat it too. Stop being lukewarm in your faith. Choose today. If you want to worship another God, a fake, a false idol, then do it. But if you're prepared to acknowledge God as the one true God, then let go of all those other things and only worship him. But the response here today is tragic. The people were completely silent. They didn't have anything to say. They've they've hedged their bets. 
They have let go of trust in God alone, but they're not prepared to let go of him entirely. They're trying to have both. So Elijah says, how long? How long are you going to try and have both? Make up your mind. Put your faith and trust completely somewhere. It's decision time. But the people were completely silent. I wonder what you would have said if you were there. I, I would have spoken up, of course. If I was there, I would have spoken up. But, but that's because I'm removed from the situation. I'm not there living in their time with their issues. But, but if I try and bring the question home to my own life and the situation to my own life, if I'm faced with a three-year drought, if I'm faced with a king and a queen who are leading me and encouraging me to trust other things, if God seems a really long way away, then what else do I grab onto to worship? In, in desperation or for fun or, or for, for fulfillment? You know, when the pressure's on, do I go to God or do I go somewhere else? When the pressure's on, is my reaction and my response to, to depend more on God and to pray more to him or do I reach for something else to help instead? And, and what Elijah's doing is he's comparing what we see in the Bible, this idea of a, a capital G God, the one true God, with small lowercase g gods. You know, Baal and Asherah, in Elijah's view, are little g gods, not the one true God. But he's saying to them, you know, make up your minds. I see them as little g gods, but if to you they're the most important thing, then, then make up your mind and, and follow them. And so Elijah said, you've got to decide. Now, you and I don't have Baal in our lives today, as far as I'm aware. I, I don't think so. Um, or Asherah, for example. Um, but we have other little g-gods. I have other things in my life that I grab onto instead of putting my trust in God. I'll, I'll grab onto my money. My money can get me out of this mess. Or I'll, I'll lean on other people. They can rescue me. Or when the pressure's on, I'm going to eat, or I'm going to drink, or I'm going to play a game just, just to numb the pain. Oh, I can't even deal with this. And so Netflix is going on. Or, or I'm bored with this, or I'm just over this, or I'm feeling boxed in. So I'm going to do something risky. Would my doctor recommend what I'm about to do? Probably not. Would I get in trouble if I got caught doing what I'm about to do? Probably yes. But I just want to do something to get out of the stuckness that I feel when life isn't working. And, and these things are some of our little g gods. These are our false idols. These are our security that we go to and become dependent on them. We can become even addicted to them. And sometimes... We want to stop and we fight against them, but other times we're just sold out completely in love with them. And, and you might say if you were, were, were pressed, if you were pushed, if someone really asked, you know, is Jesus the one true capital G God in your life? Yes, absolutely. But you look like you're making a whole lot of little G gods into big G gods in your life. And so Elijah says, enough is enough. 
You say you're a Christian, but your life doesn't look like it. So it's time to stop wavering between, between two opinions. He would say to us in our language, since, you know, since we know about Jesus, if Jesus is the son of God, follow him. But if you want to stay addicted to your phone and the little thrills and excitement and the dopamine hits that you get, rather than relying on God when you're in trouble, then, then make up your mind. What's it going to be? And still today... When I'm confronted with a choice between a big G God and and little G gods, I stay completely silent. I don't want to decide. I don't want to choose. How about you? So what Elijah does on this day, this battle of the gods or the battle of the human heart is he says we're going to prepare two sacrifices now sacrifices sound weird to us because we don't do them but they are normal to the ancient israelites and to ancient people there was a way to to give an offering to a god to get the god to notice you or to be pleased with you or to respond to you and so it was their way to connect with god and basically it's just a barbecue elijah said we're just going to prepare two separate barbecues but no one's allowed to bring a lighter Frisk everyone, no matches, no flint, no lighters, nothing, no petrol, especially. He says in verse 23, now bring two bulls and the prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish. They get to choose first. They cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. And I'll take the second choice. I'll prepare the other bull and I'll lay it on the wood of the altar, but I won't set fire to it. And then call on the name of your God, And I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Finally, they have something to say. So Elijah lets them go first. And 450 of them get to work, choosing the bull that they want. They prepare the barbecue. And they begin asking Baal to send fire from heaven to light the barbecue. And Elijah sits back in the shade and just watches them. And around lunchtime, he becomes like a wicketkeeper in a game of cricket starting to sledge them, you know, from behind the stumps. Or like the mean girls that sit at the back of the classroom. It's like, maybe you should yell louder. Maybe Baal is asleep. Maybe he's gone out for the day. Keep yelling, you'll, you'll draw him back. And then he says, maybe, maybe Baal is relieving himself, which is what you think it is. Maybe Baal's going to the toilet. And the prophets of Baal react to this sledging and how long it's going on. They yell louder. They dance harder, more passion, more energy, more footwork. They start cutting themselves in a religious ritual to get Baal to notice them. But after hours and hours, there is no fire from heaven and the barbecue is not lit. Now, let me take a quick sidebar and share a quick theological thought with you. We often think about people in the Old Testament, the ancient Israelites, as um, people who are monotheists. Mono means single and theist means God. So monotheists would say and believe and live as if there's only one true God. and, And what we hear from Elijah's point of view is that is Yahweh, Jehovah, the one true God. And all the other little G gods are, are not real. They're, they're fake. They're make-believe. They're pretend. And so when he says to them, yell louder, maybe Baal is asleep, that's funny. Because to him, all Baal is is just a, a carved statue. That's, that's monotheism. But the way that the people were living were not like monotheists. They were like monolatrists. Different word I only learned recently. 
monosingle, same as monotheism, but instead of monotheism, only one God, monolatry or monolatrism? Monolatry. I was trying to sound smart. <laughs> the latchery part of that monolatry is worship. So, so singular worship, like you'll make God the most important in your life, but followed quickly by all the others. And this is the way that people lived. They lived as if the other gods were real. They genuinely sacrificed to them. They genuinely prayed to them. They genuinely, genuinely grabbed these other gods in their life as if they were real and as if they could make a difference to their lives, physical lives and their spiritual condition. So even though theologically, like we would say, well, the, the theology of the Old Testament is monotheism. All the other idols are fake. That's, that's what we believe. The way that they lived was as if the idols were real. This will make a difference if we pray harder. They may not be as powerful as God, but, but we still want to ask them and depend on them and pray for them. And you and I live exactly like this as well. We like to think that we're monotheists. Jesus Christ is the only God Every other thing is empty or fake or not real, but we live as if there's power and hope and help in the other things. There's a lot of options out there where we get hope from, where we get help from, and we hedge our bets by depending too much on other people or on other things. Jesus is just one of the places we go when we're in trouble. We, we like to think we're monotheists, but we live like monolatrists. Like I said before, money, status, jobs, or popularity, or success, or what, what my friends think about me and say about me, or the places that we go to for excitement or to numb the pain, the, the sex, the drugs, the pushing the boundaries. Or, or it might be the classic, more spiritual things, like yes, I'll trust God for the future, but, but I'm also going to go to horoscopes to just find, find out what I need to look out for. Or I'm sure, I believe that Jesus holds the future, but I will also visit a fortune teller to give me some insight. Or um, yes, I'll follow Jesus alone, but, but tarot cards are, are also fun and, you know, I think maybe they'll, they'll be helpful. These are, the, these are the ways that we live as monolatrists, as if all these other things have value and, and we have them as well as our faith in God. And we think that the prophets of Baal and the people of Israel are pagan Neanderthals, like oh, worshipping false idols. Can you imagine? But in 2023, we have our own. By the time I was uh, 10 years old, I had um, a whole bunch of scars on my head and they're still visible if I shave my head. Um, you can see them and count them and, and almost every single one is from falling out of a tree and almost every single one is from falling out of a guava tree. It's a good thing guavas don't grow very well in cans or I'd still be adding to the scars on my head. It took me at least 10 years of my life to realize I have no business climbing trees. Um, I lack the coordination required and it seems like as soon as I leave the ground and get some elevation, I'm hopeless at making decisions. And so the, the most recent one that I remember, and the reason I remember it is probably because I didn't land on my head that day, so the memory stays. Um, I was climbing a guava tree, and by the time I, I got close to the fruit, I was 
quite a long way off the ground. Not because guava trees grow big, but because this one was on the side of a hill. And I was, was feeling great and I was feeling free. And I imagined myself like Tarzan swinging through the branches I, as I approached this really nice, ripe, juicy yellow guava. And as I swung out close enough to grab it, all of a sudden there was a crack. And I remember the feeling of betrayal. The branch I'd chosen let me down. And I remember the feeling of of regret at the decision I'd made to grab that branch. And I remember the, the feeling of the wind being knocked out of me as I hit the deck and laying there gasping for breath and, and groaning in pain. Little G gods that we grab onto, they, they seem good. They seem cool or they seem fun or they, they draw you in. And, and we're enticed to place our hope and our trust and our faith in them. But ultimately, every little G God will lead to hurt and ultimately to, to death and to emptiness. They, they don't work for you. They don't care about you. And they don't care for you. And this is still happening in, in 2023. Our priorities might be good if we had to list them. Our pri- our God might still be our number one priority if we had to put it on paper. But our lifestyles are skewed. We aren't doing the things that match our priorities, and we aren't doing the things that are good for us. You know, I I, I say that my phone can be addictive, and all of the research tells me that it's not good for my mental health, but as if that's going to change my lifestyle when I'm not thinking clearly and and, and acting well. And, And we say that we want community, but we stay at home more than we ever have before. And we say that we want to be connected to others because we feel alone. We feel like we're the only ones and we feel isolated, like no one really knows us or or cares about us, but we aren't prepared to commit to a new friend or to a new small group Bible study or to be vulnerable and open up to someone for the first time because it's always uncomfortable at first. And we say that Jesus is the one true God, but when it comes to making decisions about which branch we swing on in life, we keep swinging on work. And we keep swinging on social media. And we keep swinging on isolation. So what, what did Elijah say? He said, how much longer will you waver? Hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if your own collection of little G-gods, if they're God, then follow them. So I wonder today if you're willing to give up one of those things, at, at least one, just one, one of those things that's giving you a false sense of security, or if you're going to keep hanging on tightly until the branch breaks and you hit the deck. Now, eventually the prophets of Baal give up. They have no energy left. They're drained by their dancing in the sun and they're drained from the blood loss, from the self-harm. And then it's Elijah's turn. He calls everyone over to a different location. And he finds the scattered stones of the last time an altar had been built to God 
on that mountain. And he, he repairs the altar and he gathers the usual 12 stones, each one representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And he adds the wood and he adds the bull on top. And then he digs a trench. He digs a moat around the altar and he pours water over the whole thing. And not just, you know, let me just, let me, let me sprinkle a little bit, 12 large jugs of water. Elijah says, bring all those over. Let's pour them all over. I pity the people who carried 12 large jugs of water up Mount Carmel and then had to watch it be poured over the barbecue, which is not how you make a barbecue. And in verse 36, it says, at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice. We'll come back to that. Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I've done all this at your command. We'll come back to that as well. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Verse 38, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. And it even licked up and dried up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. What would that have been like? What what did that look like? And, and I wish God would do something like that today. I wish that in my life, in a, in a showdown of the gods, a showdown of the affections of my heart, that God would do something so undeniable, something that I and no one else could ever ignore or write off. If only that happened, then I'd be all in. I'd be like the people of Israel. Yes, I, I'm all in now. Let, let go of all these other things. I am all in. But we know from the history of the people of Israel, and I know from my history, that that's not what happens. When there's something so compelling, something so undeniable, a peak moment, where in that moment I'm convinced of the reality of God and of his his love for me, it doesn't take very much for me to forget it the next day and to grab something else a week later. The mountain experiences aren't enough to keep us away from idols or from hedging our bets or from making bad decisions about swinging out on dodgy branches. So rather than wish that God would do this today, let me share three quick thoughts to you from the passage that we just read. Um, I, I imagine this as a bolt of lightning. You imagine this however you like. Um, and I could just go back to the, the previous slide. Oh, leave it on that one, sorry. Leave it on that slide, which, which has what happened. Um, I just, I just imagine God using what we know of the science of lightning um, and him knowing when it was going to happen or causing it to happen at that moment. And it was a bolt of lightning that set fire to the, the barbecue, to the sacrifice. Because what other fire from heaven would burn up all of those things? It didn't just set fire to the kindling and then the, the sacrifice took off. It obliterated everything, the stones, the dust, all of the water. It wasn't just, you know, let's add a little bit of accelerant and that'll overcome the dampness. All the water, all the dust, all the stones are gone. Um, I, I got no idea. That's just my imagination, but that's pretty cool in my mind. That as Elijah prayed, bam, lightning. Sometimes I wish I was like Elijah and I had the courage to pray bold prayers. 
But Elijah didn't walk onto this mountain alone, make some outlandish statements and then beg God to turn up. He said, I did all this at your command. This is what Laura unpacked for us the last two weeks. Elijah's learned what it means to follow God's voice, even into bizarre, unusual, obscure situations, which meant that he knew what to do in this bigger, more pivotal, more public situation. And number three, Elijah had made regular daily decisions about what it meant to worship God. Remember that he did this at the usual time for the evening sacrifice. And when everyone else around him had long abandoned that regular rhythm of of sacrificing to God at this time of day, Elijah still worshipped. And not just with the decision of his heart, not just with the priority that he'd write on a piece of paper, but with his lifestyle, with his following, Elijah still worshipped with the decisions of his daily life. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I have to worship God at a particular time. That was the way that they worshipped. But it means that our life should look like we are not monolatrists, like all the other gods are also valuable. Our life should look like we're monotheists, like there's only one valid, real God. It's not just Jesus at the top, followed quickly by everything else, but it's Jesus is the only one, the only God that I can put any hope and trust in. Now, in the New Testament, um, the Apostle John finished his first letter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, with these words. He said, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And that would have meant a lot in a world where physical idols existed and statues were there for you to offer worship to. You could literally go and worship an idol or the emperor or your ancestors. And John says, keep away from those things. But a more helpful translation from the same original language into our English is in the New Living Translation. And John says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Keep away from anything, absolutely anything, that might take God's place in your heart. Keep away from anything that takes that place of dependence and trust and faith. I wonder what that could be for you. I wonder what idol you might have in your life. Something that takes the place of God in your daily decisions. I can't tell you what it is for you. Your best friend could probably help point it out to you because they probably see it. The Holy Spirit living within you can probably bring that to the front of your mind and challenge you about that. But I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and his name's Paul, and he said he reckons the number one little G God in our culture in Australia isn't Baal, of course. It's not Asherah. He said it's kids' sport. And his two kids played a lot of sport when they were growing up. They're young adults now. They played at a local level, then they played at a regional level. And somewhere around that time in their life that, that Paul and his wife Leanne realized that life was not working. It, they started to feel like I did when I was lying on the ground at the bottom of the tree with the wind knocked out of me. They're like, something in our life is, is not working. 
our lifestyle, our, our following, something is not working. We don't feel good. We don't feel like we're connecting or our family's connecting, and we feel distant from our church community and from what God wants us to be doing with our life, but, but we don't know why. Now, from the outside, we go, well, that's because hours and hours and hours every week are devoted to kids' sport, but, but, but they couldn't figure out which branch they were swinging on that had broken, that had made them hit the deck. So they began to examine their priorities, and they started on paper. They had one to ten, and they wrote out, what are the most important things to us as a family? What are the most important things? One is the most important, ten is the least important, and they listed them out, one to ten. And kids' sport made the list. But they realized it wasn't the most important thing to them. It was somewhere towards the bottom. But then when they said, all right, well, how are we actually spending our time and our energy? How are we worshiping our priorities? They realized that most of their energy and their time and their money was going into things at the bottom of the list. And then there was nothing left over for what was most important to them with their devotion to God, their commitment to their church community, and even for them, to their, their marriage and to their closest friends. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? The, the things that they said were most important were clearly not in their life, in the way they lived their life, and that's what was causing the problem. And so they began to shift the amount of time and energy that they were spending in their life to make sure the things that they believed were the most important actually got the most time and the most energy in their life. And the things that were less important still mattered, but they got the appropriate amount of attention and time. And as they did that, the spiritual habits and the spiritual rhythms of their lives began to return. They began to do those things again, as Elijah did at the time of the evening sacrifice. And the the peace of God and the love for each other began to return to their lives and to their family and to their ministry in the church. And their kids went on to play sport at a state level, and at a national level. One of their kids is overseas at the moment as a young adult playing sport. But they got their priorities right. In the showdown of the gods, they made sure that for them and their family, that Jesus took his rightful place. And they didn't look to any of those other things for fulfillment or for hope. Because the little G gods in your life don't care about you. They'll drop you in a heartbeat. They'll snap and leave you lying on the deck with the wind knocked out of you without a moment's notice. Your boat does not care about you. Your home renovation does not care about you. Your desire to be at home and not risk it with other people does not care about you. These things might already be letting you down now, and if not, they will. But God, fully represented in Jesus Christ, living within you by his Holy Spirit, does care about you, is caring for you, and will never leave you through all of the ups and downs of your life. So in the showdown of your heart, who or what Are you going to decide to make the big G God that you worship with your life every day? And what do you need to let go of that you've been trying to grab onto as well?
Let's spend some time in prayer and reflection before we sing together. Holy Spirit, we invite you to illuminate our priorities and the way that we're living our lives. Because with the wisdom you've given us, we could list off some things right now, but, but, I, but I wonder what's, what's most important in your eyes and what's, what's critical. The thing that's hurting us the most and affecting our faith in you the most that you want to illuminate in our lives in this moment. We invite you to show us and then we want to respond by no longer hobbling, wavering between two opinions, but deciding again today that you are God. And we want our lives and our hopes and our dreams and our time and our money to reflect that. In your name. Amen. Thanks.